The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Welcome, everyone, to the Roto World Football Show Recap Show. I am not Patrick Doherty, as you may hear. I am actually Denny Carter. We're not sure where Pat went, uh, actually. Uh, we're, we're looking very strongly into his whereabouts. Apparently, he has T. Higgins on every team and is uh, in shambles right now. Uh, but uh, we are going to get started here with a, with a recap of everything you need to know, really. You might not want to know it, but you need to know it about the week six fantasy fallout of all the games on Sunday. We're going to start out with my buddy, Kyle Dvorak. Kyle, how you doing? Oh, doing fine. My games were interesting. Good. Certainly wouldn't be a way to describe a 17 (laughs) point loss by the Colts. And then this Seahawks Bengals game where it was a close game. And that's always part of what makes a game interesting. It's less exciting when both quarterbacks, frankly, don't play their best. I mean, really far from their best, especially Geno Smith, who had a terrible game, and Joe Burrow, who this season has not looked himself, finally got right last week. And I don't want to say we were back to the old Joe Burrow, but definitely could have been a better day for him. Right. Yeah, let's let's start on the Bengals side of the ball. So it seemed to me, uh, just sort of casually tracking my DFS teams and whatnot, that Jamar Chase was off to a good start. He was accumulating stats early on. Uh, and then at some point, Kyle, it seemed to just stop. What, uh, what 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 happened there with Jamar Chase and the and the Bengals offense in general? Because it looked like it was the defense that really bailed out Cincinnati today. Yeah, it wasn't just Chase. After the second touchdown drive, which I believe they opened with back-to-back touchdown drives, something close to like 150 yards on those two drives, they looked perfect, uh, the Bengals did. And then after that second touchdown drive, they did not have a drive that earned more than 20 yards. It was three and outs, cloud of dust for Joe Mixon, no deep passing working, and a lot of dink and dunk offense, which wasn't really moving the ball. And like you said, it was just fortunate that they got, uh, I believe, an interception that set them up for a field goal. I want to say they gained no yards on that field goal drive. The interception was just in field goal range, and that was enough to win this game. That uh, 17 points was enough. The Bengals offense just completely sputtered out. I thought it was poor play calling and sequencing, but also, like I said, Joe Burrow not putting together nearly his best performance. I will say to his credit, or at least to dissuade any notion or some notion that the calf issue popped back up. He still moved really well in this game. Okay. He moved the pocket well, scrambled, uh, had like a nice uh, scramble and then touchdown. I believe this was the one that went to and- Andre Yosevas, the I believe the 
Princeton receiver. Uh, it was his only catch, but he had a really nice scramble to extend the play, then get it to the use of us. So I just think it was a run of the mill poor performance from Burrow, and not that it was uh, like terrible by any means. Geno Smith on the other side of the ball had a worse day by a pretty considerable amount. Just an average. Oh, Burrow throws two touchdowns, but also takes some sacks and also throws the interception. Yeah. He still looked physically fine, and really for a bad stat line. All I want to see from Burrow, who didn't look good, like he didn't look right to the first four weeks, is that he just doesn't like start limping or something. And he didn't. So they get their bye next week, if I remember correctly. Not really concerned with the outlook of the offense. I'm still more feeling as though we're going to get the fun 2020 version of this team and not what we saw through the first four weeks and kind of saw again today, but for different reasons, I'd say. We didn't see Joe Burrow cursing at his calf on the sideline, which is always, I think, a good sign of his health. So Joe Mixon, 15 touches, does nothing with them, 62 scoreless yards, it looks like. He w- he was in the regression files, I regret to say. He did that thing positive. he does where he gets all the work, and uh, boy, yeah. not doing a lot with it. I think he has one touchdown this year. It seems like it. Yeah. And, and T-, T. Higgins did return from injury, is this correct? He did return. You almost wouldn't know it by looking at the box score, but he was uh, he split his snaps. He did not get a full complement okay. of routes. He split them with Trent Irwin. Uh, actually, not Eos of us who scored the touchdown. Irwin, who did not get in the box score at all, was still playing at least in the first half. I saw the snaps posted. It, it seemed to be carrying over into the second half as well. Just a complete limited and like limited route tree or limited overall routes snaps. Like I said, with their buy, I got to think that he got in a full practice Friday. He was able to play. They were just cautious with him. I got to think after the bye, we are back to normal T. Higgins. But had we known his usage would be what it was today, you probably shouldn't have played him. But yeah. we had no way of knowing. So I think sure. I think we'll be back to normal the next time we see this team. Gotcha. Okay. And on the other side of the ball, Seattle side of the ball, Ken Walker off to a really good start in this game. Uh, early touchdown, uh, 19 carries overall to go along with three receptions uh, against the Bengals. Um, but really not much. It seemed like after maybe the first quarter, maybe the second quarter, um, was he, was this just a product of the Seahawks just struggling offensively or was it Walker in particular? What, what, what happened with Walker? This reminds me almost the exact same thing. What we saw on the other side of the football is that after, after the Seahawks also early success, they got on the board on their very first drive. Then a few drives later, they got a field goal at halftime. They have 10 points low, but not, you know, unreasonable. And they get three more points through the entire rest of the game. Multiple interceptions from Geno Smith all in the second half. And so I think if they keep a reasonable sort of expectation of moving the change, moving the chains, putting up numbers on offense, probably get a really good day from Ken Walker. He just sees so many looks near the end zone. And even when his team, like even when his team only gets near the end zone once, he's going to be the guy to get the ball there. So if this team scores multiple times in a given game, you're so likely to get one from him. If they only score one time in a game, Still got a decent chance at getting a, getting a touchdown. I think this is his fourth one-yard touchdown of the season. He's up there in terms of red zone carries, carries inside the five, and he looks really good running the football, too. It wasn't the most efficient day for him, but, I mean, I'm going to have him ranked as a weekly top five running back, especially given that I expect this offense to rebound. This was a uncharacteristically poor performance from Geno Smith, even if last year maybe his numbers were a little above what we'd expect. I expect him to be better than this two-interception, two no-touchdown day. A uh, guy named Jackson Smith and Jigba, never heard of him before this week, but he uh, seemed to have something of a, of a pulse statistically here. Uh, four catches on five targets for JSN, 48 yards uh, to go along with Jake Bobo catching two catch two, two passes for 43 yards. Of course, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett led, led the way as far as receiving goes. 
Was there a change at all in the way JSN was being used? Because really, we haven't seen him get anything down the field. And by down the field, I mean like beyond the line of scrimmage, really, this season. Yeah, heading into week four, he had an average target depth of somewhere around like two to three yards, which like that is functionally running back usage. Yeah. Then I think in week four, that was they had a buy in week five. So that was the last time we saw the team. It pushed up to, I think, around five, which is like Jarvis Landry usage. Not not great but a step in the right direction from yeah. being an actual running back. He did get some more looks down the field in this game. And I think that's understandable to say that will continue to progress. But even if we do get a, a higher target depth, which is almost just necessary given where he was at the start of the season, we just need more routes. Anytime this team moves out of, out of three wide receiver sets, he's the one who comes off the field. And even then, like they still have some routes dedicated to Jake Bobo who like, He's kind of good. I think he's not a right player. I don't know if he should be playing over first round pick and really good prospect JSN, but I get why he's on the field every now and then. I He's a reason to move into four wide sets five or yeah. 10 times a game. He's not a reason to take JSN off the field, but that's okay. the problem is JSN comes off the field just too often right now. And when he's on the field, he's not an elite target earner because it's hard to earn targets when Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are out there. So it's not like every single time he steps on the field, there's a design target coming his way. With all of these sort of things making a headwind for him, I still I still think you should be holding on to him because, like I said, the usage is slowly creeping in the right direction. Right. But you're not starting him next week. Right, right, right. I was going to say, is, is he a hold for now, you think? I think so, but that also comes from me, who I thought he was a really strong prospect. I, I thought he was one of the 10 or 15 best overall players entering the draft, and he fell what, to like 20, I think, or something. So I thought it was a, a really strong pick by the Seahawks, and I thought I shouldn't have made it that far. So for me, my prior on him is that if he earns a large role, they decide, okay, we need to get JSN more involved. We scheme him stuff. We also throw him past the sticks more often. Most importantly, we just play a lot of three wide and put him out there. I think he'll do really well. He'll exceed in that environment, even with still playing with good other receivers on the field at the same time. I think he'll be able to hold his own and provide usable fantasy numbers, if not good fantasy numbers. But we're not there yet. I don't know if we get there. That's the thing with holding him is you're continuing to burn that roster spot. If you got hit by the running back injuries today, for instance, and you need to go out there and pick someone up, mm -hmm. I would understand cutting him. I'm trying to hold him. But that's also, like I said, I think he's talented. <laughs> That's the rundown for Bengals Seahawks. We're going to move on to Jags Colts, which was not a close game. And I was a little surprised, Kyle, to see the box score for uh, Trevor Lawrence. I would have thought that he had a day, but it turns out he only had uh, 181 yards and two touchdowns and uh, an interception. Is that is that correct? Am <laughs> I looking at the right box score? Yeah, they won 100%. The Jags just took their foot off the gas in the second half. Their drives are punt, field goal, and that drive amounted to no yards. It was a field goal from an interception. Yeah. A touchdown drive. This was uh, their only, I believe, touchdown of the second half. Yeah, well, their only touchdown drive of the second half, the interception, another punt, field goal, field goal, and then the, the kneels to end the game. They had one meaningful drive. Yeah, one meaningful drive. They had right. Uh, oh, and they had another one, the final field goal of the game. You think, oh, well, they probably put up like, you know, 30, 40 yards on that drive, got some guys some PPR points. It came off of a turnover on downs from the Colts. They lost 14 yards because of a gigantic Trevor Lawrence sack. They didn't do anything in the second half. They didn't have to. They entered halftime up 21-6 and were up 31-6 relatively quickly. 
if you were to cut the game off at the moment that they were up 31 to six, you, you would rightfully look at the box score and be like, they crushed, they were efficient. They moved the ball, no big mistakes. And then they just, they threw in the towel in that they had already won. Yeah. Colts kind of made an effort to keep it close to get their only two touchdowns of the game after that point, after that uh, final touchdown for the Jags, even then you never really felt like they had a chance I don't want to say that that justifies the Jags really taking their foot off the gas, but I think that's the explanation they would tell themselves as they're trying to burn clock, not trying to play with high variance. I still think the right answer is the more points you put up on the board, regardless of clock in most scenarios is going to increase your chances of winning. But I, not every coach would seem to feel that way. But what do you know, man? Come on. You're a nerd. I know. Uh, and, but I'm, I'm, I am with you, obviously. Uh, Calvin Ridley leads in targets with eight, does very little with them, four catches for 30 yards. Christian Kirk catches a touchdown to go along with 49 yards. Evan Ingram, seven catches for 41 yards, including a, a pretty incredible sideline grab that, that I saw. I, I wanted to get to Travis Etienne, though, because he keeps scoring touchdowns. He didn't have a great day on the ground, only 55 yards on, on 18 rushing attempts, but he scores twice. He also catches three balls for, for 28 yards. Uh, this is the the uh, ETN show, right? I mean, where the, the Bigsby, Tank Bigsby is nowhere to be found. Yeah, I think Tank Bigsby caught a pass in this game, and it was his first pass caught in the NFL, I think. He is not taking much short yardage work away. He's not taking any passing down snaps away. This is 100% the ETN show. They haven't gotten to use him at the goal line a ton, uh, but they did this week. They got him one short yardage carry, and then he had actually a wildcat snap, like direct snap to him, and just took it 22 yards right up the gut in the end zone. So 100%, he's seeing all the usage. The offense is good. It's probably not elite. I think that's fair to say, but it's a good offense with a three down back. That guy is going to rank as a, like in a bad matchup, the RB789 in favorable matchups like it was today. He's going to rank and produce as a top five fantasy back. And then we have on the other side of the ball, the Colts uh, seeing insane drop back and passing volume 55 passes for Gardner Minshew. That's what we're talking about. That's a that, <laughs> fantasy wise. Reality wise, this is horrible. Horrendous. Oh, it's very bad. But but fantasy wise, this is what we want. Okay. We want 55 passes. It got uh Michael Pittman home for fantasy. It got down Josh Downs home to an extent for fantasy with the help of a of a touchdown. Uh, Jason, uh I'm sorry, not Jason Taylor. Uh, Jonathan Taylor. Five catches on six targets for 46 yards. Zach Moss has six catches. So the running backs combine, the Colts running backs combine for 11 receptions for almost 80, for over 80 yards. I mean, th- this is this is great. Is this something, Kyle, do you think that we can rely on going forward as far as pass volume goes? Yeah, I've definitely seen that when they're playing with Gardner Minshew. One, he's not getting design carries and he's not scrambling at nearly the rate Anthony Richardson will obviously, but they just play more loose with him. I, I think they're much more willing to when they go down because the defense isn't great, you kind of expect them to go down, just let Minshew loose. And sometimes that gives you three interceptions, three sacks and some garbage time production. In fact, that's probably most of what's going to happen, but as long as they keep playing this way, it's going to put PPR points on the table because 50, even if he's completing just 33 of 55, that's mm-hmm. enough, like you said, to get Moss and Taylor their PPR points, to get Michael Pittman over 100 yards. First time this year, I think he got over 100 yards. I think he's got 11 targets or more in like three of the four Minshew games, games that he played at least like half the snaps. So Pittman, a favorite target of both of the quarterbacks, but maybe even more so of, uh, of Minshew. Al Pierce did leave the game in the second half with a shoulder injury. 
I, he doesn't stylistically fit a ton of what we expect Minshew to do, and that certainly isn't going to help. Also, we'll open up some more stuff for Josh Downs. The backfield, I will say we we had uh, Shane Steichen say that Jonathan Taylor would have his work ramped up. They had a more normal practice regiment this week, so uh, they ended up saying that they're going to ramp him up. And although eight carries doesn't sound like a lot, it's more than Zach Moss, which is not what we saw last week. Last week, I believe the carry split was 23 for Moss and six for Taylor. A, quote, disastrous, but disastrous in a one-game sample outcome. Sure. This week, it is the game script flips, and they only have – 17 team carries between both running backs and two carries for Gardner Minshew. Taylor only gets eight carries, but he outcarries Zach Moss, which that's what we needed to see. I think the problem more so going forward might be game script. Gardner Minshew doesn't look very good. There's a reason he's a backup for multiple, multiple teams throughout his career. He just had some bad interceptions in this one. I, I don't know if every single one of these, I think one of them, maybe it was a miscommunication with one of his receivers, but this is not uh not a great performance for him and, kind of what I think we should come to expect. That's the concern for Taylor is that they play sort of fast and loose with Minshew and lose a bunch of games and he's capping out at 15 carries. I think as they ramp Taylor up though, it would be more reasonable to expect them to avoid the 55 attempt games and try and get Taylor to 15 to 20 carries. Mm -hmm. I'm starting him next week. Them giving him more carries and plenty of work through the air tells me that, yeah, I don't know if he'll get to 20 carries next week. Zach Moss could still be, be involved in the backfield, maybe even as a pass catcher. But if you're going to lead the backfield in carries and you're as talented as Jonathan Taylor is, and that's in your second game back, I'm going to have high expectations as in he's going to get more than like 20 yards, which is what he got something like what he got this week, 19. He's going to do more than that. He's going to do a lot more than that. So maybe I rank him as the RB 22, the RB uh, the 26, some mm -hmm. semantics that I don't care about. He's a starting running back and that's what shares. All right. Well, hey, let's keep that volume going. Uh, we're going to switch over seamlessly uh, to my games. Uh, I had the Dolphins and Panthers uh, in the in the early set here. The Dolphins got down in this game 14-0 in a hurry uh, to Carolina, but uh, they seem to not be too worried. And uh, you could see why later in the game as they buzzsawed the Carolina defense. Final score is 42-21 Dolphins. Uh, the uh, Dolphins ended up pulling a lot of their starters, including Tua, including Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. But um, they got there for fantasy purposes. And that and that's that's all we care about. Kyle, what do you want to know about this Panthers Dolphins game? Starting with Dolphins, uh, Raheem Moster, as expected, gets the bulk of the carry 17 for 115 yards at 6.8 a carry. Dolphins running backs are going to keep getting away with it. And he scores twice. Uh, any any room for daylight for a second running back, both Chris Brooks and Salvin Ahmed had six carries. Ahmed mm -hmm. scored, I believe it was the final touchdown fourth quarter garbage time, if I remember correctly. Was yeah. he seeing the work late in the game when it was completely salted away or was Brooks seeing the work? Is there any like RB2 stash potential? Because obviously when we had HN and Raheem Mostert, both were very fantasy viable. Any yeah. chance of fantasy viable RB2 emerges here? You know, uh, the the Brooks and Ahmed stuff, their, their production came very late in the game when things were a little bit out of hand. Ahmed was the breather back for, for Mostert. And so I, I do I do think for as long as uh, Devon Achan is out, I think it's it's Mostert or bust in this offense. And honestly, Kyle, he he was tripped up by the shoelaces on two <laughs> on at least at minimum two runs that could have gone to the house. Uh so it could have been just another insane day. Another three touchdowns in this game for Moster. Two on the ground, uh, one through the air. 
you know, the the the, the Dolphins' screen game in the in the red zone is so lethal. They have they have you know six guys in motion. The defense has their head on a swivel. They have no idea what's going on. You find Mostert in the flat with literally no one around him, and he jogs into the end zone. It it just seems so easy for these guys. So I mean, Mostert, as you know, if you roster him, uh, he he's an elite option. Um, whether or not uh, Chan is in there, with Chan out, I mean, there are only maybe two or three guys I'd rather start over Mostert. So it, it's a dominant thing for him. And of note, Jeff Wilson was not activated from injured reserve ahead of this game. He did have his 21-day practice window open, so maybe we see him come back. Most are playing so well, though, that you would think that the only reason to scale back his touches would be his understandably lengthy injury history. Jalen Waddell, 7 for 51 and 1 on 9 targets. That was the second most targets on the team. I feel like we've said this a few weeks in a row and just a bunch of weeks this season where you're like, that's not a bad game from Waddell. Like, are we going to get our 150 and two touchdowns? Because, you know, we've gotten it with AJ and we've gotten it a bunch of times with Mostert. Obviously, Hill, who blew up in this game as he does literally every week, six for 163 and one. We've gotten it from him, like I said, every week. Waddle is the only guy who is, I am sure, really talented on this team. Like, you know, they have backups, but of the starters, of the starters we care about, is undoubtedly an elite talent and hasn't had the big game. He's had usable games. He scored last week as well. He had a few games over, I think 80 to start the year. Are we going to get the game, the one? You know, it almost was because uh, Tua almost connected with him for a 45, 50 yard touchdown in the, in the first half. It was broken up at the last second because it was honestly kind of a fluttery deep ball. And I know Dolphins fans get mad about that, but it was. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so it could have been a, a big game for Waddle. They they did seem intent on getting him involved early, which is nice. But really, like there's there's no two ways about this. the th- The whole offense runs through Tyreek Hill. Uh, in, in fact, the touchdown that Waddle caught should have been a Hill touchdown. Hill was wide open, right in front of Tua's face. I think I honestly think Tua was like, I I do th- I give you too much, Tyreek. I give you I gotta s- jam it into double coverage back there in the end zone. So Waddle gets a touchdown. Got to keep it. everyone happy. You got to spread the love out a little bit because Waddle, a good player, deserves to feel yeah. needed on this team. So when you watch Tyreek play, you're like I don't know if we need Waddle. Man, and yeah, and so I, it, there, there, there. I think there is a huge gap, and there will continue to be a huge gap between Hill and Waddle going forward. But it was nice to see the the design stuff, the 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 uh, frame of mind of you know wanting to get the ball to to Waddle a little bit. Um, I will say that Tyreek left this game uh, just for about five minutes with what were described as cramps. It looked like a hamstring pull, which made my, you know, made me want to fall on the ground, but uh, it, it was, uh, it was, they were cramps. He came back. He was, um, he was stiff and he was not himself, but he did return to the game. He caught a couple more passes before the, the dolphins pulled uh, their starters. So just, I, I think, I think he, he will be, Okay, on on the other side of the ball here with the Panthers, uh, I think I guess the main takeaway is really that Adam Thielen continues to cook. Okay, like he's he's just he is just jamming it. I mean, he is just catching everything. Leads the team again uh, in in targets here. uh, Thirteen targets, eleven catches, one hundred and fifteen yards, and a touchdown. And by the way, it was a really really strong throw from Bryce Young for that touchdown. I you gotta gotta give him credit. Yeah, how'd Bryce, how'd Bryce Young look? I know, obviously, their own six. He has struggled. They lose this game in, you know, a blowout. Their, their team, their opponent scores yeah. twice as many points as they do. 
he takes four sacks, but he doesn't throw an interception, one touchdown, any hope for Bryce Young. I, I think when I say hope, I more mean like, oh, can we like stream him in a good matchup or, or something like that? Is he a start in super flex leagues? Because of course there's hope for a rookie who has played six games and was a good prospect, but more of the near-term fantasy outlook, any life or still persona non grata in fantasy rosters. I think I think his his main function right now in fantasy is just to keep feeling going, uh, and and that and that's about it. Um, you know, today he missed everything downfield to DJ Chark and to Jonathan Mingo. Uh, it was close, but you know, that doesn't cut it. They don't give you fantasy points for close. I've, I've looked into that, and it, it remains true. Um, so so it's it's really bad, like downfield passing from. Bryce Young, it was lots of dinking and dunking today. And, and you know, that hey, that works for for Thielen um going forward. So you 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 know, he's a very strong, I don't know, top 15 PPR option, top 12. He was putting up the numbers. Like I think uh, you, you know, know, we talked about best ball and fantasy all summer, and I was <laughs> firmly out on him. And I it's just the it's easily it's gotta be the biggest L I'm gonna take all year because he's incredible. <laughs> I, I'm sure, I'm sure season to date, he is like a top 10 receiver. So yeah, like. Top 15, right. he would maybe he'd slow down a little bit in pace and still be a top 15 receiver. So, yeah, that's perfectly fine to say as much as it hurts me. The backfield, Chubba Hubbard, 19 yeah. carries, 88 yards, a touchdown. Raheem Blackshear, the backup and the only other running back to see the ball, just five carries. I mean, I, the eye test in terms of the box score says Chubba Hubbard was a three-down workhorse back who got there with a touchdown. Any any dissent from the actual ball watcher of this game? <laughs> uh, no, uh, they, he was he was the guy, and, and you know what? He got there for fantasy purposes before the Dolphins ran roughshod over Carolina. So good for him for doing that. Scored a touchdown early. Uh, really didn't see the ball much in the second half. I was a little disappointed to see that he split the the route running work with Raheem Blackshear. Uh, this is a team that targets its running backs pretty at a pretty high rate, twenty one percent. Overall, uh, it's a top 10 rate and Blackshear and Hubbard only had two targets combined between them. So uh, that that was that was a little surprising. I thought I, th- I thought Hubbard would be a little less game script sensitive because once the script got crazy, there was no there was nothing else for Hubbard to do there in the offense. Um, so, you know, as long as Miles Sanders is out uh, and who knows you know how long that shoulder injury will last. I think I think Hubbard is a, is a fine, you know, like RB three you know and uh who 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 gets all the green zone work all the inside the 10 work and that that's very valuable so i I think i think it was good if you started hubbard you're very happy with what happened denny i think unless you have any other points that wraps us up with this game send us to cleveland for your final and maybe the grossest game we'll talk about oh man really really gross game just nothing going on uh through the air on the ground it was like a rugby match for most of, most of the game. 1917 Browns, uh, Jake Moody missed field goal uh, with uh, time, as time expired. Of course, P.J. Walker started this game for Deshaun Watson, who is still out with a shoulder injury. He may or may not return next week. P.J. Walker was a low-key disaster, 192 yards on 34 attempts, uh, two interceptions. Honestly, Kyle, should have been four maybe <laughs> five you know did you watch dorian thompson robinson play when he started a few weeks ago i did and i really do think dtr is better than pj uh, walker has been rough in the nfl we talked about it on the main podcast i loved him in the xfl every chance he gets 
in the NFL, it does not go well. So assuming assuming Watson is not playing next week, not a given, but just under that assumption, yeah. who do you think they go with? I they'll probably go with Walker because they won. Uh, but sure. but it, it had nothing to do with him, you know. Like he he actually tried to give the game away. Like he 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 was playing out of his mind. And what I mean by that is like he was not thinking at all late in the game. Almost threw a an unforgivable interception in the end zone that would have sealed the deal for the Niners. Uh, but hey, you know what? He did connect with Amari Cooper on a 58 yard catch and run. It got Cooper up to four catches for 108 yards. And man, that is a lot of production for what I think you thought you were going to get from Cooper in this game. You will take that all day. Uh, no, nobody else uh, of note in the uh, you know p- pass catching group here for for Cleveland. Uh, if you want to look at their backfield briefly. You have uh, Jerome Ford getting 17 carries. Uh, it's Cream Hunt's 12 carries. Now, Cream Hunt did get a lot of the goal line work. He scored a, a short touchdown. And Cream Hunt was the primary pass catcher out of the backfield. Three catches for 24 yards on three targets. Uh, now, Ford Ford did have some critical runs. He had two critical runs late in the game. Not take, you know Browns fans wanted to tell me on Twitter. They said, hey, our guy Ford is still doing his thing. And that's fine for real football. Like He has that dog in him, obviously. But for fantasy, we we care about touches, and he was very much splitting the backfield with Kareem Hunt. So we have to be cognizant of that. I think it makes Hunt somewhat interesting, although incredibly game script dependent um, uh, going forward. But yeah, Ford, Ford is I think going to be disappointing compared to what we thought he was going to get in this backfield. Yeah. So what? Like, I guess are we? I, we're still starting Cooper next week, assuming Watson is not back. Are we starting yeah. Ford next week? Uh, the Browns, I believe, play the Colts next week. They are they on the road to face yeah. the Colts. <clears throat> so you're going to have, I don't know who's the underdog in that game. I guess they're both starting backup quarterbacks nice. who who bombed this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they both apparently have one wide receiver, one who sees all the work. I guess we're still starting Cooper, right? I think so. I, I mean, I just don't, I don't see, I mean, unless you're like in an 18 league, then you're probably not. But, you know, 10, 12 team league, you're probably starting Cooper. Beyond that, there's just there's just nothing. Elijah Moore continues to do to do nothing. Uh, David and Joe who continues to do nothing. So uh, other side of the ball, yeah, horrific amount of injuries to all of the players we love to give me the full breakdown of I believe a CMC injury and mm-hmm. a Debo Samuel injury if you've got it. Yeah, uh, Debo is going to undergo an MRI after an X-ray came back negative. I've never heard of an X-ray coming back positive, by the way. So we're gonna have to <laughs> wait, wait on that one uh, if it ever happens. Uh, shoulder injury for Debo. He left in the first half, did not return. McCaffrey oblique injury. He he did return to the game. He took one carry and really seemed to be in pain. No, I'm not laughing at him. I just it just it was just a, a warrior type thing for him to come back. He limps off the field. He does not return. And I wanted to mention to the folks that Jordan Mason was the clear RB1 in CMC's place. Five carries for Mason, 27 yards, and a touchdown. He scored a touchdown from 10 yards out. That's his second touchdown in two weeks. Last week, he ran for 70 yards and a touchdown against Dallas, mostly in garbage time. But I think it's pretty clear that he's the number one over Elijah Mitchell, which is a little bit of a surprise from you know com- comparing that to what we thought was the Niners the Niners pecking order was going to be headed into the season. So really with this injury to CMC, Mason needs to be rostered in almost all formats, I think. So part of the explanation of San Francisco losing this game to the Browns after being like white hot to start the year is obviously Christian McCaffrey going down, Debo Samuel going down. 
I assume we've got some blame to put on Brock Purdy's shoulders as he completes under half of his 27 attempts for 125 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Takes three sacks. How much of the blame is on him? What did he look like in this game, given that the box score is rather unappealing? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it rough. 4.6 yards per attempt and uh, got away with a couple interceptions. I mean, the Browns' pass rush was all over Purdy. Um, losing CMC was a huge hit, you know, to, to, to him. I mean, his only touchdown was a dump off to CMC. So, uh, losing Debo, obviously a big hit. They, they really just couldn't get anything going through the air. They were having some success on the ground. I told you about Mason CMC was doing fine before his oblique injury. Um, this, I mean, I, I do think Purdy is a little sensitive to environment, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, he's a guy, he, I think he's a quarterback who plays really well from ahead. And, but when the other team knows that he's going to have to drop back, it's not great. Like he's not, he's not going to be able to automatically do his thing in those circumstances. The Niners are so good, obviously that he's almost never in that situation. He did find himself in that situation today. He did struggle. The, he really wasn't placing the ball well. Uh, so I, I, I think it's a, it's a fluky thing. You're definitely, he's playing the Vikings next week. You know, you're starting get right spot. You call that a get right spot in the business. He's going to get all the way, all the way, right. I believe Kyle. So don't, don't worry too much about it. Lastly, let's say we're without McCaffrey and Debo for just a week. You know, hopefully it's not more than that. Hopefully it's not that at all. But I see here, Brandon Ayuk only catches four passes, but he sees 10 targets dominates the looks. And somehow despite losing Debo, despite losing CMC, George Kittle, two targets, one catch, a single yard. I, what, what do we do with this guy? I don't know if it's simply the the wheels of time keep on turning, <laughs> if there were too many mouths to feed, and maybe that changes next week. But the numbers simply have not been there outside of the three-score game for Kittle, and they were as not there as they've ever been in this game. Well, look, this this is the payment that you must that you must give in order to have the three touchdown performance from Kittle. You get that, and you knew what was coming, folks. You knew you that, that either a big zero, a goose egg, or like a two was coming. It turns out it was a one uh, uh, th- this week in PPR formats for for Kittle. I, I, I'm curious to see his route running numbers from this game because I, I think from what I was seeing, he was uh, kept in to block Miles Garrett and other pass rushers for the Browns to make sure Purdy could do something downfield, could get the ball beyond the, the sticks. And so I, I, that may have affected his, his pass route numbers. Be interesting to look into that. But you know what you're getting with, with Kittle. You know, he's too good of a blocker to, uh, uh, unfortunately, for fantasy purposes. And you're going to get these swings back and forth. All right, Denny, with no further notes, if you don't have any, send us, send you to the next game. I will see you later in the week for our shows. All right. Thanks, Kyle. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. 
That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. I have with me here Eric Samalski. Eric, you covered a couple games for us today. You had Texan Saints, uh, which was a which was a tight game, looked like a good game. And then you had mm-hmm. Detroit Tampa, which was a less good game, but we'll talk about that in a second. Let's start with let's start with the Saints and, and Texans here. Um CJ Stroud throws his first interception as a pro. Uh, not a horrible day, 199 yards and two touchdowns. You know, from a fantasy standpoint, you were hoping for more, but this 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 is a, a tough New Orleans defense. Uh, mm-hmm. So I guess it could have been worse. Uh, tell me a little bit about he how he played and then how the target distribution went without Tank Dell in the lineup. Of course, Tank Dell was out with a uh, concussion. Sure. So as you mentioned, like the game could have been worse for CJ Stroud. Um, I think this is an important um game in terms of just his his development as a pro he played a really good defense they didn't give him a lot he didn't really make a lot of mistakes super inefficient right 13 of 27 is not really what you want to see but he put them in position to win the game um and he and he kept the offense moving now it is three games in a row where he's completed 57 percent of his passes or or less um, you know, in that Steelers game, he was at 53% of passes. Um, he hit on a couple big plays, um, 48% today. I think, you know, defenses are giving him different looks. They're confusing him a little bit. Um, you know, you're not going to see like, you know, 384 and two touchdowns right. like he did against the Colts all the time, but you're not seeing him implode either. And so I think that from a fantasy perspective, that keeps me confident in him for the rest of the year because you know there's going to be inconsistencies with rookie quarterbacks. Um, And that leads to inconsistencies with the receivers because if you are catching passes from an inconsistent quarterback, you're going to have an inconsistent output. And so, you know, Nico Collins ran the most routes, played the most snaps, had the most targets, um, but, you know, he wound up with four catches for 80 yards. So you're, it's not a terrible day. It's not a great day. Right. Um, and then after that, it was Robert Woods. Um, and then Noah Brown got back into the the action. You know, Noah Brown, um, he famously got Wally pipped by uh, Tank Dell when he <laughs> got put on the IR and Tank Dell got an opportunity. And I don't really think Tank Dell's giving it back. But, you know, yeah. Brown had the second most, uh, sorry, second most targets amongst wide receivers, uh, ran the same amount of routes as, as Robert Woods. Um, but listen, the, the Texans are on by next week. And then, you know, that gives Tank Dell an extra week to get ready from the concussion if he wasn't going to be back anyway. So you have to expect that Tank Dell is going to, you know, come back as the number two. And then Brown and Robert Woods are just kind of, you know, solid complementary pieces in the in the passing game. It looks uh, looks like the backfield was a little shaken up here. Tell me about that. Devin Singletary, 12 carries for 58 yards. Uh, uh, Damian Pierce, 13 carries for 34 yards, only 2.6 yards per carry. Pierce has really done nothing mm-hmm. uh, with his opportunity. Of course, uh, he does not have a reception in this game. Singletary has one catch for four yards. Was there, uh, I don't want to say changing the guard, but this is this is a shakeup. No, am, am no right? you, should, you should say that because yeah? I think this is Singletary's backfield. Oh, okay. Um, so single Singletary played 13 more snaps, but Interestingly, Singletary Singletary played nine of the 13 snaps at the end of the game when they were trying to close out the game. Um, Pierce played two, and interestingly enough, Mike Boone played two, just 
you know, because like, why not? (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, listen, Pierce averaged 2.9 yards a carry in the first four games. He, he didn't look good. Uh, The offense didn't look good. They were averaging 83 yards per game on the ground. They were clearly going to try to change something up. They started the game going kind of series for series between the two and Singletary just looked better. Um, You know, they, the announcers kept saying, oh, you know, Pierce is the between the tackles runner and Singletary has, you know, the off the tackles and, you know, kind of in the flats. But yeah. If between the tackles running meant I run directly into the defensive line, then yeah, right. Damian Pierce did a phenomenal job. Yeah. He got stood up inside the five yard line twice, um, which you know kind of led to some of the you know it did lead to a Dalton Schultz touchdown, which we can get to, and it led to um, you know just kind of the Texans offense not really you know capitalizing on as many opportunities as they had, um, and so I, I really think that you, Devin Singletary needs to be a priority on the waiver wire because at bare minimum, this is a split where he looks like the better back and him getting the carries at the end of the game when they're trying to w- to ice the game right. tells me that they might just have more confidence in him. And he's a guy that was continuously just like overlooked in Buffalo, but kept staying on the field because he kept making plays in real life football that made teams want to keep him on the field. That's a good way of putting it. I, I don't think anyone was super excited about Devin Singletary, but uh, you know, if he if he is a better option, then I, I trust the Texans. I think the Texans are a smart team. I think they know what they're doing. I could see them using him uh, more and more on the other side of the ball here. Oh, did you have anything else on on that? Well, just just it's two good weeks in a row for Dalton Schultz now. Sorry, yes, um, and I think you know that might be a part of the side effect of teams throwing different things at, at CJ Stroud and him using the safety blanket a little bit more. But I think that, you know, Dalton Schultz is now maybe like high end tight end too. Um, you know, matchup dependent if he's going to get in the end zone or not. But I, but I think, you know, he is more fantasy relevant than he appeared in the first couple weeks of the year. Gotcha. Yes. And, and I know Schultz was dropped in a lot of leagues, so mm-hmm. it could be, could be worth your effort to go and, and pick him up if you are desperate at tight end. And honestly, Eric, who among us is not desperate? Exactly, uh, yes. In, in some league. Uh, on the Saints side of the ball, Derek Carr goes for 353 yards on 50 attempts. That seems like a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, one touchdown, one interception. He was sacked twice. Mm-hmm. Um, the target distribution was kind of, as you would expect, 10 targets for Chris Olave. He caught seven for 96. Rashid Shahid had a touchdown uh, on uh, two catches for 85 yards. Uh, there was a lot of Taysom in this game. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's you know our tight end segue is like yeah. Taysom's yeah. new trick was hey, I, I look like a competent starting tight end. That's um, wild. He had one carry this whole game for two yards. They used him primarily as a receiving tight end, and he looked really good. I mean, seven catches for forty nine yards. He had a twenty yard catch. That um, would it was his only, I guess, quote unquote, you know, was his only uncaught target, and it was a beautiful play by the Texans linebacker to like get his cast. This guy, Cashman had a cast on his hand, and he basically just hit the ball with his cast at the end and knocked right. it out. But like, you know, Hill was super close to like eight catches for seventy yards on the day. Um, Juwan Johnson has not really been good, and you know, I I think that there would be crazier things than the the Saints to just say, let's just keep this guy on the field because we know he can make plays with the ball in his hand. He showed he can catch the ball. I don't know what Jawan Johnson has done that that warrants him pushing right. Taysom Hill off right. the field. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm looking at the the, the stats here. You have uh, seven receptions for Taysom Hill. It, that matches Alvin Kamara. It's two mm-hmm. more than Michael Thomas. It's three more than Foster Moreau. I mean, what is going on here? This is this is really something we we have to look very strongly into this because this is this is kind of kind of stunning and and notable. Chris Olave was he he did not have a touchdown. Did he come close to a touchdown? Did I see that on red zone? He didn't. I mean, he was he was being targeted all over the field. Um, he didn't come close to a touchdown in the sense of like there wasn't a play where you were like, oh man, he should have he should have had it. Um, this was. Derek Carr under pressure relentlessly throughout the game, which I do think factors into why, like, you know, Taysom Hill got a lot of work, um, is, you know, they're not designing quick hitter stuff for Chris Olave, right? They have Taysom Hill for that. They have Alvin Kamara for that. They have Michael Thomas for, like, you know, run to the sticks, get open. Um, And so when Derek Carr doesn't have time in the pocket, Chris Olave becomes a little bit more inconsistent. He just made every single play that he basically had an opportunity to make today because he's very good at football. And so, you know, that's why he's able to put up a decent stat line. But Derek Carr was running for his life a lot. His left tackle got hurt in like the second drive of the game. They had to bring Trevor Penning back in to play left tackle, who's given up like the most pressures of any left tackle in football. And you could tell it drastically impacted um, the Saints offense and you know Carr was hit constantly and that really does ding Michael Thomas because yeah. when Derek Carr leaves the pocket and has to improvise that that's better suited for Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid and that is not Michael Thomas Michael Thomas is not making defenders miss in space and no. you know getting open on an improvisational route right now um, and so that that makes me a little bit um Afraid for Michael Thomas's fantasy value going forward, but I think Olave is kind of just matchup proof, and um, he looks yeah. really good. Yeah, I mean, Olave hit 215 air yards over the past two games. He had 15 real, real life yards in those two games, so it was, it was frustrating. Nice to yeah. see him break out a little bit. And then in the in the backfield, we have the scam going, Eric. Yeah, right? Exactly. The scam, the scam will continue until morale improves. Uh, we have uh, Alvin Kamara doing nothing with his rushing attempts 19 right. carries for 68 yards in this and one frankly no, nothing with his receptions yeah I mean, right 36 yards on seven catches is you know if you're in a straight ppr league it's great it's otherwise amazing. it doesn't do much for you i, I we there's gonna be, he's gonna set a record for the number of of touches for like an rb3 at this point like it's it is it is crazy is he does he appear not quick not fast is he put being put in bad situations what's up with kamara um, I do think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line. Um, so first, his first touch of the game was a 15-yard reception. Um, his first two carries of the game were a 7-yard rush and a 13-yard rush. And then the left tackle got hurt. Okay. Um, and then they shifted the offensive line around, and then they just got beat off the line all game long. Um, and so I do think some of it is is that. And then I also think that, like, when Derek Carr is getting that kind of pressure, I, I think these passes at the line of scrimmage, like they're just linebackers on Kamara the second he touches the ball. I don't think that, you know, this is like that Drew Brees offense where the safeties are so deep, he catches the ball underneath, there's so much room to run, he can make people miss. Like they're just people on him the second he touches the ball. And so I think this is kind of here to stay. 
really unless I think, in my opinion, the Saints can fix their offensive line issues and they can go- start consistently hitting deep plays and spacing out the defense. You know, you saw a deep play to Rashid Shahid, which is why he had um, 85 and a touchdown. Um, you know, he ran a terrible route. He ran the wrong route and Derek Carr all- should have thrown a pick six, but the Texans cornerback dropped it. And then two plays later, Shahid scored a 34-yard touchdown because that's... Mm the way football works Um, and he's going to be that boomer bust big play. But right now I don't think that defenses really trust that, that Derek Carr is going to consistently beat them over the top. And that makes it hard for Kamara to get a lot of stuff going underneath. Now Carr Carr is throwing it downfield a lot. I mean, I I think that he leads the league in in downfield uh, throwing rate. So he is trying, we have to give him credit for trying Eric. We do. And, and that's important coming off the AC joint injury is that he's now pushing the ball downfield he looks a little bit healthier he's gonna you know they threw 50 times they're they're gonna do that they're willing to do that if they need to um they play the jaguars next week uh and so you know if the jaguars offense keeps playing like it's playing Derek carr is gonna need to throw um and you know he could still get himself olave these guys to good fantasy days um it's just not gonna be pretty when you watch it Sure. And hey, you know what? It doesn't matter. You know, you watch the dots if that's the case. You watch the dots on the screen. Let's shift over to your second game. Lions and Bucks. The Lions win easily 20 20 to 6. I I, I honestly thought that this would be a competitive game, but uh, Mm -hmm. turns out I did not have the pulse of my Lions here. Uh, Jared Goff, really nice game. 44 attempts in a decidedly pass-heavy attack against Tampa. Tampa is, is is a bit of a pass funnel, so maybe that shouldn't come as a shock. 353 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions for Jared Goff. Um, we'll get to the backfield situation in a second, David Montgomery. But, wow, I mean, talk about domination. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, 15 targets here for 124 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he wasn't the only game in town, but it was pretty close, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, he you know, got open for every major completion that Jared Goff needed. It was Amon Ross St. Brown, middle of the field. Guy is not afraid to take a huge hit over the middle, held on to basically everything, um, looked really good. Goff completed passes to 10 different receivers. He basically took what the Bucks were giving him. Um, and, you know, there wasn't any like splash plays or, or wow plays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was one completion for over 30 yards in the entire game and we'll, we'll get to that because of who it was too yeah. but you know he golf looks good there's a lot of weapons you know the, it, it's unfortunate for fantasy managers because outside of Amon Ross St. Brown it's like Josh Reynolds is going to catch passes and Khalif Raymond's going to catch passes and Sam Laporte is going to catch passes and now Jamison Williams is going to catch passes and there's not another guy you can say like this is Waddle and Tyree Kill. You know, right. this is Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. But it's good for Jared Goff and it's good for the Lions offense. Um, and the big play was to Jamison Williams. Um, all three yeah. of his uh, of his targets were on the same drive, which you know we need to keep in mind. Um, but he beat the the Bucks cornerback really badly. And Jared Goff was able to throw a short, totally off target throw that Williams had to like stop and turn around and catch while falling backwards into the end zone. But he had gotten so wide open that he was able to do that. And so, you know, this is what we thought Jamison Williams was going to be, which is like, he's a big play threat playing limited snaps in a very contested receiving room where like, I know we want to say, Oh, he'll just 
jump ahead of Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond, but like those guys are good real life wide receivers and they're helping the Lions win real football games. Right. And as Dan Campbell has showed us, he's, you know, not going to take those guys off the field when they're helping them win games. So I think that we're going to see Williams in this limited role early on, but he has the upside to make these big plays. And uh, Sam Laporta, uh, kind of tough luck day, 11 targets, uh, second second most be- behind St. Brown, uh, only four catches for 36 yards. Um, was he was he just kind of unfortunate? Did he uh, seem like seem like maybe he should have had a big day? It's his second 11 target game in the past in the past three weeks for Laporta. Yeah, I think the key is like he came in questionable with the calf injury, but looked healthy. Um, and as you mentioned, like Tampa Bay is a good defense. They have really solid linebackers. They may be pass funnel, but I think that tends to be more kind of like in the secondary. Um, you know, there was nothing that stood out that like Laporta looked bad or, you know, okay. missed opportunities. Just just a tough defensive day there. Um, and then obviously the big story, as you mentioned, was David Montgomery leaving with a rib injury. Um he got tackled from behind and fell on the ball. Um, and so, you know, they went and had x-rays. The x-rays were negative. Um, and he was ruled out for the game. But, like, I guess if the x-rays are, you know, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor. But I think if the x-rays are negative, that means there's no break, which means he should be on track to play next week. And maybe we also yeah. think Jameer Gibbs might come back next week. So, you know, who knows how this backfield is going to shake out. Craig Reynolds had, you know, 10 carries for 15 yards, uh, two catches for 28 yards. So it's not like he should be a hot waiver wire pickup. If those two guys are out, he's probably a flex option. But again, another guy who he threw a vicious block to get Amon Ross St. Brown, his touchdown. And so he's going to play a lot because he does things like that. And Dan Campbell likes that. So If for some reason Montgomery and Gibbs both don't play, it's going to be a lot of Craig Reynolds in a tough game against the Ravens. So, like, you know, it's not super exciting to you. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of dog levels in Craig Reynolds, and yes. uh, and we we know Dan Campbell town zone <laughs> likes that a lot. Uh, on the Bucks side of the ball, it looked like a lot of close calls here for the Bucks. A lot of almost touchdowns. I saw an almost touchdown to. Uh, Chris Godwin, maybe Mike Evans once late in the game. Make, Baker Mayfield has a rough one, 206 mm-hmm. yards, no no touchdowns, uh, interception. He looked to be favoring his left arm a little bit. I don't know if he was banged up in that game, but tell me about this the struggles of this past game for Tampa. Oh, yeah. I mean, Baker Mayfield was under pressure all game long. I mean, you're going to see only one sack from the Lions, but they were in his face consistently um and you know as we've seen so far this season when baker mayfield has time in the pocket he can make the throws and the tampa bay offense hums a little bit and looks solid and when he doesn't when he feels pressure it's old baker mayfield he gets flustered he gets happy feet he tries to like throw passes off script they get passed they get batted down at the line of scrimmage um you know he he had time in the pocket and and kind of moved up on some of those throws you were referencing and it was actually Trey Palmer the rookie out of Nebraska twice um, he had Trey Palmer for like a fifty yard walk in touchdown and he overthrew him then he overthrew Palmer um, right. for thirty yards later Palmer tied Chris Godwin second on the team with seven targets so just something for you know you for deep league psychos to keep in the back of their head is like. This is not a Tom Brady Bucks offense that's going to consistently support three wide receivers, but Trey Palmer's on the field a lot. He's getting a lot of targets and they're deep targets. And so he's eventually going to hit on some of these big plays. 
um, and you're going to get a big day out of Trey Palmer. It's just, you know, when when does that happen? When does the matchup dictate it? Um, is it next week against the Falcons? Like, you know, who really knows? Um, and then Godwin, seven targets, six catches, 77 yards, just kind of dominating the middle of the field. Um, you know, Mike Evans led the team with 10 targets, but, you know, four catches, 49 yards because he's working deeper routes and Baker Mayfield didn't have a lot of time to throw. And so there was a lot of just off target throws to Mike Evans, where again, I don't, I think this had nothing to do with Mike Evans battling an injury during the week. It was just, you know, Baker Mayfield didn't have time to step up into those deeper routes. And that's why you saw a lot of Chris Godwin. Backfield is an atrocity for Tampa right now. Uh, seven Gross. carries for Rashad White, 26 yards. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, six carries for nine yards. So not not better, not better than White. Uh, Sean Tucker does not see a carry. And I don't even know if he was active for this game. Uh, yeah, I mean, Shocking I don't know. from all the preseason hype. Just yeah, of Sean yeah. Tucker. And so, so I, I don't know. I don't know what, what to even ask you. Like, can you start Rashad White in 12 team no. leagues right now? No. I mean, I, I think that the Bucks told us everything when on a crucial drive on third and one, they threw a fade to Mike Evans. Yeah. And then on a third and two on a crucial drive later, they also threw a pass. Like they, they have no faith in the running backs to get key yards. And you should have no faith in these running backs on your team. You know, yes, Rashad White had three receptions. So I guess if you're trying a PPR scam, like he's a little bit more likely to do that. But these both these guys don't look good. Uh, the offensive line was getting abused all day against the Lions. And so I, there's nothing that's like really enticing. Um, you have to wonder, like, if the Bucks are three and two and really contending, like, when do you pick up the phone? for good old Lenny Fournette and say, oh, Hey, <laughs> you, do you want to come back? Because what we have yeah. is just not working, man. Uh, you know what? Lenny just heard you, Eric, and he dropped <laughs> off the couch and he did 12 pushups. Not, not consecutively. He did two sets of six, but he's, he's ready to go. He, he's building towards it. You know, he's He's going to get, he's going to get to that third set of six soon. You, you just yeah. watch Eric. Thanks for the breakdown of your games. Thanks. I will, talk, I will talk to you soon. Joining me now, Lawrence Jackson from Fantasy Football Happy Hour. Hey, Lawrence, how are you? I'm good, Denny. What's going on, man? Crazy, crazy Sunday we had here in week six. It's been it's been uh, not normal in the, in many ways here. You had the Cardinals and the Rams uh, late game here. Uh, turned out to be a blowout. It was close for a while uh, into the late in the third quarter, I believe, but it ended up being 26 to nine uh, in favor of the Rams at home. We'll start with the with the Rams offense here. Matthew Stafford, um, n- not the best day. Two hundred twenty six yards uh, and a touchdown. He was sacked three times. Uh, seemed to really, really get into the swing of just force feeding Cooper Cup. Cup dominates yeah. with one hundred forty eight yards on seven catches. Uh, Puka Nakua only twenty six yards on four catches. Tell tell us how that broke down. Yeah, so it it was quite interesting. You mentioned it, you know, uh, being closer at first, and that was pretty much the case. I feel like uh, coming out, you know, the Rams were just, you know, they were sticking to throwing the ball. Um, Kyron Williams, I know you'll see his stat line, but he only had two carries and four yards in the whole first half. Um, so, so they didn't have much success throwing the ball in the first half outside 
of uh outside of uh Cooper Cup. So he's pretty much the one who who ate for most of the day. Um Tutu Atwell, he didn't get his only catch until the second half. Uh Puka Nakul, he was active with the seven targets, but not able to do much with him. All of his action was, you know, near the line of scrimmage. That's why you see the 26 yards there. Um, but coming out in the second half, the Rams ran the ball nine straight times on their opening drive in the second half. And remember, they only ran them twice in the first half, and he ended up with almost 100 and 60 rushing yards uh so they just kept going uh you know using Kyron Williams like a battering ram once he was getting to the second level you know he was showing that burst he had a uh he had a 31 yard run somewhere in the middle of the third quarter then he was able to cash in later on uh with the touchdown there so they the Rams defense pretty much held it down so there was no need for the Rams to go into you know the prolific passing that they usually do um that's why it was pretty much only Cooper Cup who you know and you know Cooper Cup he ain't the fastest dude out here but uh you know he got behind one of the corners on a little double move caught a 49 yard ball but other than Cooper Cup there wasn't really much uh going on in the past game what was right. also noteworthy is Stafford he uh he, he didn't throw a pick this game so he didn't throw for the 300 yards and the multiple touchdowns but he also he didn't uh turn the ball over managed the game well so and that was easy to do with the Rams' defense pretty much shutting down the Cardinals' offense. Uh, looks like Puka Nakua dropped a touchdown in this one. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. he dropped one in the uh, in the back of the end zone early in the game there, which would have, you know, obviously that would have brought him to 12 PPR points. Sure, sure. Uh, so sure. it, it would have made it a decent day. Yeah. Definitely, you definitely needed it because I'm sure most people at this point – is starting him in a wide receiver two slot, um, if not the flex at the very least. So they definitely could have used that. Um, but uh, you know he'll he'll be all right. He you know he still has seven targets on the day where Stafford only threw the ball twenty four times. So right. Cooper Cup had nine targets. Puka Nakua has seven targets, and that's three quarters of your targets right there. So nothing's going to change with that. Just the day where they did, uh, where they didn't have to throw it much. That's a, that's a good point on the, on the target domination of Nakua and, and cup. Uh, just real quick, Kyron Williams, 20, 20 carries, uh, 158 yards and a touchdown in this one. Um, he ate almost eight yards, a carry. It seems like the Cardinals are becoming, uh, a uh, a run funnel like a team that we that we really want to start our running backs against uh Kyron Williams has not been putting up great stats but he looked he looked like Barry Sanders in this one am I right yeah yeah last week against the Eagles it was tough for him he was running back 32 but as we know the Eagles have uh one of the top two run defenses in the league the week before that he was able to rush for 100 yards Kyron Williams so I feel like, you know, if you get Kyron Williams in a decent matchup, he's going to be able to perform or he's just going to score touchdowns. Because in the beginning of the first three games, he wasn't 
you know, averaging four and a half yards a carry, but he was scoring two times a game. So now he's starting to become uh, more efficient. And when that line is able to block a little bit and he gets a little room, he could definitely uh, be explosive at sure. the same level. Sure. And uh, shifting over to the Cardinals offense, uh, tough day for Josh Jobs, Josh Dobbs, 21 of 41 for 235 yards, no touchdowns. He he was picked off once. Uh, Dobbs did, you know, kind of save his fantasy day a little bit. Seven carries for 47 yards, including a 24 yard rush that I, I think I saw in red zone is pretty, pretty impressive stuff. Uh, but he really didn't distribute the ball very well at all. 11 targets. For Marquise Brown, he only had four catches for 34 yards. I think Brown almost came down with a long, a long reception near the goal line, if I if I'm not mistaken. And then I, I yeah. really I wanted to hear a little bit about Rondell Moore with James Conner out of the picture here. Moore has seven touches for 26 yards. Um, is he is he a, a usable guy in PPR formats? You think? Uh yeah no nah, not really I mean okay. they they tried to get him involved but when you I mean when you when you think about it you know um and we'll talk about the running backs here soon Keontae Ingram ten carries Damian Williams eight carries so you know and they were still using Michael Wilson too uh, so Rondell Moore you think about it where he falls in in line after Keontae Ingram and uh, you know, Damian Williams, I think they, you know, they lined him up in the backfield a couple of times there just to, you know, see what, what happens. And obviously it wasn't much cause you see the yardage there that he, uh, that he was able to get on the, uh, on the seven touches, but, you know, it, it looked like they was just trying to see who could, uh, who could become a hot hand really. Um, Keontae Ingram started the game Damian Williams came in second and a waiver wire bust. Amari DiMercato came in third and only had two carries in the game. So it just the the offense looked, uh, you know, looked a little looked a little out of sync than it has in the recent weeks. They weren't uh, they weren't even getting Marquise Brown in, involved in the in in the offense at first. Uh, two of those catches he had. Those were uh, those were later in the game. Uh, you know, he tried to hit him sometimes, but it just wasn't working. Like you said, he had that deep ball that would have easily been a touchdown. Uh, he beat the corner, but he threw the ball outside. He wanted to get that a little more inside uh, so he could make the catch there. It didn't give uh, Hollywood a chance to get the feet down there. Right, so, right. you know, you would have liked to see him get – Hollywood Brown involved earlier um, as as well as uh, Michael Wilson. But both of them, you know, they just both got a couple of uh, a couple of garbage receptions there at the end, which I, it still didn't uh, it still didn't mean much for him. Going to be it's going to be tough sledding. And I think in the Arizona backfield. Uh, well, Lawrence, thanks for the rundown of this game. I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. No doubt, man. Appreciate it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. All right, joining me now, my buddy, my colleague, my fellow Marylander, Zach Kruger. Zach, thanks for joining me. We're going to talk about our commanders. No, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, but the commanders uh, playing the Falcons today, uh, kind of a weird game. You'll you'll get into that in just a second, Zach. It was 24-16 was the final score. Commanders beat the Falcons somehow. It never looked like that. It just, just, just watching it on Red Zone, whatever, tracking it online, it never really looked like Washington was even in the game. They ended up winning uh, pretty comfortably here, 24-16. Uh, what what was going on with the with the Falcons dominating time of possession uh, and ending and 16, 16 points to show for it? What happened? Yeah, so so uh, first of all, Danny, nice to nice to have you on here. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that management finally read my request for a new a new podcast host here, and they <laughs> sent you in. So uh, happy to happy to see you in here and have my voice heard. But uh, we're not no, we're so, not going to tell Pat. We're not going to. We're, we're not going to. Uh, certainly not. But if you looked at the box score for this game and everything but the final score, you you would basically assume what you kind of hinted at, which was a, a dominant game more or less by by the Falcons that would have inevitably led to a Falcons win. And that was certainly not the case. As you said, Commanders 24, Falcons 16. Uh, I, I think for starters, we should maybe just go back a little bit to what happened early in this game. The Commanders were pretty much locked out of the end zone for the majority uh, of this of the second half, they did have a touchdown in the third quarter on a on a Brian Robinson twenty four yard. Uh, it, was, it was basically like a screen pass, it was a short yardage pass. He got out ahead of his blockers and he he ran it in. But but the Commanders had three touchdown possessions in this game, which came on ninety total yards of offense, and that was by way of a uh, a a sixty two yard punt return by Jamison Crowder in the second quarter to put the ball on the eleven yard line. It was later a fifty two yard drive, uh, which came after a failed fourth down conversion attempt by the Falcons late in the second half or late in the second quarter. And then the Brian Robinson touchdown pass came on a des- came after Desmond Ritter interception where the Commanders were on the Falcons twenty seven yard line. So it, it if you look at it, you're going to look at it and you're going to see a lot of you know short uh touchdown drives essentially for the commanders and that and that's basically by way of everyone putting them in scoring position with the exception of the offense which is not great uh they, they converted two of ten i believe it was third downs in this one at one point in time they had failed on six straight third downs sam howell just had 151 yards passing he did have three touchdowns by all means you know he certainly didn't you know make mistakes he did eat another five sacks and still on pace for the nfl single season record but this was not a game that was necessarily dominated by the the commanders. It was it was more so a game that was just given up, in my opinion, by the Falcons. Um, Desmond Ritter in this one, three hundred seven yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. But then 
just a, a number of mistakes in the second half when when the Falcons had a chance to either tie it or at least get within a field goal, just completely botched. Um, you, I think you had seen my tweet earlier uh, in the day where I said the Falcons outgained the Commanders 402 yards to 193 on the day, which is just, I mean, that that's yeah. insane. I mean, that's but, stun- stunning stuff, really. Yeah, it, it's astonishing to see that. And then on the Falcons' final three drives, the end result ended up being a interception, a, a punt, and then another interception. And on multiple occasions, when the when the Falcons were down in the red zone, threatening the score, uh, Desmond Ritter at home looked like a quarterback who could not get a playoff. Uh, the, the The Falcons spiked the ball to to get themselves in a position to save a timeout. And then ultimately called a timeout after a spiked play because the offense wasn't ready to go. Uh, late, later on in the game, Ritter got called for a delay of game on a third down and goal from the two yard line that pushed them back to the seven. Uh, on the play after that, they probably were luck. They probably should have had a whistle blown again for delay a game. They didn't. He tossed it up to Drake London in the end zone for an interception. It was just. It, for teams who are supposed to have home field advantage, you know, yeah. as the Falcons did in this game, you don't yeah. expect such incompetent plays on, on <laughs> you know, third yeah. down, goal-to-go situations, the clock running out. Like, they, they need to be better. They were not. And were they were they ever going to score, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, we don't know. But they certainly did a number of things to shoot, shoot themselves in the foot to ensure that whatever legitimate chance they had at winning this game was was kicked out the door. Sure. And uh, to the backfield here for Atlanta, uh, Tyler Algier has 13 carries. Bijan Robinson has 13 carries. Algier was actually much more effective with his thir- 13 carries, 51 yards to 37 yards for Bijan. Uh, it, it, it appeared that Tyler Algier maintained his very frustrating role as the goal line back. Maybe, maybe Bijan Robinson will one day score a touchdown, a rushing touchdown, we we can hope. Uh, Bijan sort of, sort of saved his day with five catches on eight targets for 43 yards. I guess this is just the role, huh? Like Bijan is just uh, a, a backfield split guy who gets four, five, six receptions and gets by that way. It seems seems like a capped role, does it not, Zach? No, it does seem like a capped role, and then certainly – the the cap role is made only worse by what you pointed out earlier, which was Tyler Algier serving as more of like the goal line and green zone back, and Bijan Robinson just kind of being a guy who's out there. Uh, the the Falcons and the Lions neither have made a great work of their first down or of their first round running backs early on. I think from a volume and uh, logic standpoint, as far as how we would figure them to be used in the capacity at which you would expect them to be used at. But yeah, Bijan, you know, continues to display all the talent in the world looks great every time he touches the ball. But as, as long as Arthur Smith continues to to make this a split and, and give uh, the more high value touches to Algier down near the end zone, I think Bijan is going to give out a lot of frustrating performances where the only thing that might bail him out will be his receiving upside, which is, it's great that he has that, and it certainly helped him out a little bit here. But we want a little bit more than that going forward, so we'll see if it ever comes. But it, it doesn't look great right now. And just real quick here, Zach, on the tight end situation in Atlanta, uh, Johnny Smith and Kyle Pitts each have four catches, 36 yards and a touchdown for Janu, 43 yards and a touchdown for Kyle Pitts. Now, this is a team in the Falcons that coming into this week had targeted its tight ends at four, at a 40% rate, okay, which is a, which leads the league by miles. Um, I guess we're in a situation where you can you can play both. I mean, you're, you're not playing both of these guys together in the same lineup, 
but both of these guys, Janu and Kyle Pitts, are are fantasy viable going forward. Is that am, am I off base there at all? You think? No, I don't think you are. I think especially if you want to just talk about week seven where we're going to have five teams on by, I think a yeah. guy like Johnny Smith is definitely going to be in play. Kyle Pitts at this point, I think, is still the guy who you're going to be putting in your lineup every week if you have him. You drafted him with the hopes that you would be able to do that. His his volume and usage over the last few weeks has, has been a little bit more encouraging. The target quality has been more encouraging. So Pitts is a guy you can undeniably just throw in your lineup if you draft him, use him, don't waste that draft capital on some you know, Hunter Henry S tight end or whatever roll with pits there. And then for Smith, the volume has been good. Um, he, he had five targets today, which is actually his fewest since week one when he saw zero targets. So, so John Smith is regularly seeing six plus targets um, all with the exception of every week, but week one. So as, as a mid tight end two, who I think has that, you know, tight end one upside on any given week, if he finds the end zone, he's absolutely in play for week seven against the Buccaneers. It's a weird situation for sure. Uh, let's switch over real quick to the commander's pass catchers. Uh, Logan Thomas, we joked on the podcast this week on the Road to World Football show that Logan Thomas had inherited the Travis Kelsey role in Eric the Enemy's <laughs> offense. It turns out uh, he did not have that role today. Only one catch for Thomas on uh, t- one target. <laughs> Whew, not, not Kelsey at all, folks. Um, and he's not dating Taylor Swift per sources. Uh, so we, we, we didn't get much volume, but is this something to worry about? Like I thought Logan Thomas was a locked in PPR option. It was, I completely wrong there. I don't, I don't think so. The, I, again, we got, we have to go back to the fact that the commanders had short, short fields on a handful of, well, on, on all of their touchdown drives their their longest touchdown drive was on a 52 yard field where they had to go down there. So, so just, you know, from the overall, you know, perspective of where they started these drives combined with uh, a low volume passing attack, Sam Howell only threw 23 passes in this game, which is just so like, it's a significant drop off from what we've seen every week where he's, you know, throwing 50 passes in a row or he's finishing the day with 39 passes or something to that effect. This was a very low volume day for the offense as a whole. I I think if, if it wasn't for so many failed third down conversions as well, then we might've seen Logan Thomas worked in a little bit more there, but they also went out of their way. I thought to prioritize Terry McLaurin a little bit more. He had 11 targets in this one. It was only the second time McLaurin has seen double digit targets and uh, he was productive with them. Now, most of those came in the first half and, kind of fizzled out in the second half, but I, I think they were going out of their way to to kind of ensure that they were feeding their wide receiver one, which is something they have not prioritized nearly as much as most people think they should have early on. Sure. And uh, in, in the, the backfield here, uh, 10 carries for Brian Robinson, 31 yards. Uh, he did score on a reception, on a 24-yard reception to kind of definitely save his day. Otherwise, he just had nothing, nothing going, but uh, no changes here, right? We we have Brian Robinson as the clear RB one. Everybody else sort of falls falls behind. Yeah, that, no, that's correct. Uh, Antonio Gibson did almost nothing of note. He did catch a one yard touchdown pass uh, for the Commanders in this one down by the goal line, obviously. But but it was still Brian Robinson running clear ahead of Antonio Gibson and the other running backs there. Actually, um, I don't have the complete box score sitting in front of me, but Robinson, I know, was outcarried by Chris Rodriguez in this game. I think it was something like four to three or something like that. But uh, that that was kind of surprising to see. I, I'm not going to do much with that knowledge, but uh, certainly just kind of surprising well, that, to see the way that the commanders the number, tend to Yeah, just, just the, the number I have here from the box score I have here is 10, 10 carries for Brian Robinson, four for, for Chris Rodriguez. 
Yeah, uh, and, the, and I think Gibson was something like two or three or something. Oh, okay. Oh, you're saying Rodriguez had carried Gibson. Yeah, so, yeah, yes. Gotcha. Uh, all right, and then I, I, I would uh, be remiss, and I'm never remiss, if I were to mention that Jahan Dotson seems to have been overtaken by Curtis Samuel. Dotson with no catches on one target today. Curtis Samuel, uh, four catches on four targets for 42 yards and a touchdown. He also had one rushing attempt. Is it fair to say? Curtis Samuel is the wide receiver too behind Terry McLaurin. So this was like the first game where I think Dotson had fewer than five targets. I think I think his targets it hasn't exactly been what anyone wants to see. Everyone wants to see more, but Curtis Samuel I think is just kind of standing alone with his production and how he's being utilized. He's getting a lot of work down near the green zone. He had his second consecutive touchdown this week. This touchdown that he had came down in, in a goal to go situation. Um, and then he caught f- four passes for 42 yards uh, and, and a touchdown again here. So whatever he's doing with his volume is, is certainly keeping the commanders and their staff pleased enough to keep going back to him in these high value areas of the field. And if, the, if Dotson's not going to make the most of his opportunities between the 20s, then he might kind of just be a non-factor at this point in time until we see otherwise. He did have an absolutely brutal drop on his yeah. one target, uh, which did, didn't yeah. help it. it it was a it was a wide open look. It went right through his hands. Uh, in any case, he was trying to build for more targets. Certainly, gets thrown out the window as far as that goes. But we'll we'll see how he looks bouncing back against the, the Giants. And that's a, feels like a good bounce back spot for him. We'll see if they go out as what their way to kind of feed him anymore going forward. All right, let's go to your second game here, uh, Jets and Eagles. It was a crazy game, from what I understand. I was podcasting and missed the ending to this game. So maybe you can tell the folks about that. And by the folks, I mean me, the Jets uh, won 20 to 14, which is kind of, kind of shocking. What the heck happened, Zach? Well, what the heck happened was, is we're still looking into it, but it's possible Zach Wilson donned a, a, uh, Eagles Jalen Hurts jersey for much of this game because the guy wearing the Jalen Hurts jersey threw four interceptions, uh, not, or I'm sorry, three interceptions. Not, not good. The, the Eagles turned it over four times in total. Uh, and, and Hurts, it, it was honestly kind of a weird game because there there was some times and, and even the guys on the broadcast were talking about it, like he looked in control he he's he's you know wait looking downfield he's finding his receivers AJ Brown had 131 yards in this game uh DeAndre Swift had eight catches three three different players uh on on the Eagles saw nine or more targets in this game and mm-hmm. and by all accounts I thought Hertz looked you know decent enough 280 yards but when it came down to just some some bad decision making, he he got goaded into a couple of bad picks. One of them came when his arm was hit, uh, fell right in the hands of a defender. The other one that that ultimately sealed the deal uh, came late, where the defender just kind of jumped his route and saw where he was going, and, and I think definitely caught Hertz off guard based on his reaction, and uh, and that ended up putting the the Jets in position to score the go ahead touchdown, win the game. So. It Man. it wasn't a good performance by Hertz. Obviously, no. you, you you don't love a three hundred interception performance, but I mean the the completion percentage I thought overall was fine. I thought he made a lot of big plays. AJ Brown helped that out tremendously with a couple long catches, but just you know critical moments where Hertz ended up turning the ball over and it consistently kept the Jets in the game, and uh, it it was a problem. Obviously, it ended up resulting yeah. in the twenty to fourteen loss. I should mention Devontae Smith led uh, all Eagles pass catchers with 11 targets. Uh, DeAndre Swift saw 10 targets, which is pretty amazing. Eight eight catches for Swift for 40 yards and a touchdown. 
Uh, Devontae Smith seemed to have a pretty disappointing day considering the opportunity. Um, I saw one pretty horrible drop that could have gone for a long touchdown. Uh, anything else going on with Devontae Smith? No, that was honestly the only one that really stood out to me. It was just kind of he he had a solid solid day where he, you know, caught 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 most of the passes that came his way. But that one drop that, as you mentioned, where he was basically wide open behind the majority of the secondary, he botched that, and that ruined what probably could have been you know closer to a eighty or ninety yard day because he had a lot of green behind him and he just wasn't able to haul on the score to get it done. So. Uh, certainly the target volume for Smith was there in this one, and, and we like to see that, but he has had a, a troublesome few weeks, uh, and, and I think that that's certainly going to be some cause for concern for fantasy managers who are relying on a bit more for him uh, at this point in the season. But A.J. Brown has also just completely kind of overtaken uh, yeah. all, all, all the big plays for the Eagles. They said on the broadcast, I, I, I noted in the blurb afterwards, A.J. Brown has now gone for 125 yards or more in four consecutive games, which is just yes, yes, yes. It's insane to think about. Uh, <laughs> they, they said it was an Eagles record, and I was like, is that all? Like, it's not a, it's not an NFL record or something? Like, there yeah. were people rolling out of bed going for yeah. five, six straight 125-yard games. It seems... Almost like we're underselling what he's doing here, but Brown has looked tremendous. He continues to look like just the the best ball carrier on the field when the ball is in his hands. He, he bounces off defenders. He he makes guys miss. Uh, he hauled in a sick over the shoulder catch today, which ended up being challenged and obviously upheld because he's AJ Brown and he does not make mistakes. Uh, and, and he's been awesome. So the next week they get the Miami Dolphins and what I think is going to be all hands on deck oh, performance for the Eagles. And they're going to need all their big players to show up. And he looks like he's ready to do so. It should, it should be fun for fantasy purposes. I'm sure it will let us down tremendously. Um, yes, I'm looking uh, forward to the combined 40 points that we're going to get between these two teams. Exactly. Exactly. I mentioned DeAndre Swift a second ago. I just want to emphasize 18 touches in this offense. Uh, he is an RB1 until further notice. Uh, let's let's get on to the Jets side of the ball now. We had some interesting stuff happen with, with Garrett Wilson, and by interesting stuff, I mean a usable fantasy outing. Uh, 12 targets. He dominated targets. Nobody else had more than five targets for the Jets. Garrett Wilson came down with eight, eight receptions for 90 yards, including a 33-yarder, I believe, in the second half. Uh, ha- have we reached a point where... Maybe just maybe Zach Wilson can can uh, can can fuel some fantasy, you know, uh, outings, some decent fantasy outings, usable fantasy outings for Garrett Wilson. Uh, he's he's certainly trying to, uh, and and yeah. we like that. Obviously, as someone who has Garrett Wilson uh, on his bench uh, this week, uh, I, I I texted a buddy of mine earlier today where we have him, and I said I think we can start going back to Garrett Wilson. Now, don't do it week seven. The uh, the Jets are on by, but week eight against the Giants, we, we should consider Garrett Wilson and Zach Wilson, his new best friend, as potential yeah. uh, fantasy option for, or at least Garrett Wilson as a fantasy option for for week eight. Uh, he, he actually should have had a bigger day, which which sounds kind of crazy for eight for ninety day. But uh, Alan Lazard also had a illegal blindside block on what was a twenty five yard gain for Wilson, yes. which was called back. So um, Wilson could have had that much more of of a of a solid performance for the uh, the the Jets. But this was a season best performance for Wilson, basically across the board. He he didn't find the end zone, but. You know, 17 PPR points later, we're, we're pretty happy with what we saw because we weren't sure we were ever going to see that after Aaron Rodgers went down in week one. So the fact that he got there this week and, and is kind of trending up over the last couple of weeks, I think is encouraging for his outlook going forward. I'm sure that there will be times where we, we're going to regret putting him in our lineup. Zach Wilson was by no means a stud in this game, 186 mm-hmm. empty 
uh, passing yards, but he also did not throw any interceptions. And something about Zach Wilson does look a little bit more confident, I will say. He, he seems yes. to be um, processing his reads a little bit faster. He 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 had a couple of scrambles in this one and got away. He, he still takes some bad sacks at bad times. But it, if you're not giving the ball away too much, as we saw in this case here, how bad that can be for a team like the Eagles when they did it, uh, the 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 Jets are in the game, and and the offense is going to continue to possess the ball, and I think Zach Wilson will continue to to find him. the 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 receiver talent is incredibly low on the Jets after Garrett Wilson, so Zach Wilson at least knows that and targets the best guys on his team. It, it appears Zach Wilson no longer has the yips which he had for about two and a half years. So you got to be happy for him uh, for getting getting rid of those yips. It's been good for fantasy purposes, not for him, but for the other guys that he needs to feed here. Brees Hall ninety three yards on uh 17 touches including five catches uh really that's that's great i mean that's great usage for for Brees hall uh even though the jets could not run the ball Brees hall still kind of got there for you from from a ppr uh perspective so just you know in the same vein that garrett wilson i think is usable it seems like we've finally crossed crossed the threshold where zach wilson can support a fantasy viable Brees hall yeah, and, and I think that kind of goes back also to uh, what I just recently touched on was was the confidence in Zach Wilson. When he wasn't looking for uh, Garrett Wilson downfield, you could tell that he knew that Brees Hall was somewhere in the vicinity of where he needed to get the ball to, to check down to him and, uh, and and rip off a big gain. And he did that a couple of times. I think his longest gain was like on a 24, 25-yard reception, uh, which obviously helped kind of boost that that receiving floor that he had for the day, 54 total yards through the air. But, but Brees Hall, he looks like the back that we were all hoping he would be post-ACL surgery. He looks explosive. He looks elusive. He, he's he's certainly a problem for opposing defenders. And, and I think even the idea that there's still a chance he's going to get a little bit better from a health standpoint and also just a, a player standpoint. This is a running back who's in the second season of his his rather young career. His 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 rookie season was cut short very early. Uh, he he looks tremendous, and and if Zach Wilson's going to find a way to support him yeah. through the air when it's not working out on the ground, then I think we've got ourselves a very good fantasy asset for the foreseeable future. All right, well, thanks Zach for wrapping up uh, Jets, Eagles, and Commanders, Falcons. I will talk to you soon. All right, thanks a lot, Denny. Have a good one. I want to welcome to the show Aditya Fuldiore here, who covered the Bears Vikings game. Uh, weird game for sure, Aditya. Tell us a little bit about the Bears offense with and without Justin Fields and what happened to Justin Fields uh, to make him miss the end of this game. Mm-hmm. So Justin Fields, the Bears offense comes out with a sack on Justin Fields and then a couple rushes from Fields and then a punt. Nothing we haven't seen before from the Bears offense. Um, as the game went on, Fields was running the ball a little bit to get those first downs. He only attempted 10 passes. And he exited in the third quarter where he got sacked and then his right hand got crushed underneath his body. So he exited with a right hand injury. Um, we'll see how that looks later. But his backup, Tyson Tyson Bajan, I think I'm saying it right, is yeah. <laughs> uh, a rookie from out of Shepherd. So he doesn't have like any NFL experience yeah. quite yet. So he got thrown right into the fire against the Vikings defense. And he attempted 14 passes in a quarter and a half, so more than Justin Fields. They had him throwing a lot to uh, DJ Moore and trying to get some quick 
throws going for him. Um, but he ended up having a fumble. That was a scoop and score on his first first drive. And then he also threw a duck that ended up being picked off, a really high throw that wasn't the best intended for DJ Moore. But he did get in on a one-yard rush from the goal line. So confidence builder at the least, but not the greatest outing from the Bears' offense. And we'll see how that offense looks moving forward with or without Justin Fields. You know, uh, Aditya, I, I pride myself on knowing players. I know a lot of players because I have this job and, I, and I'm and i constantly in our database of players and I see a lot of uh, transactions in the NFL. Never heard of this Bajant guy, Bajant, whatever. Uh, never heard of him, literally. So I, I don't know how that happened, uh, but uh, good, good for the Bears, I guess, for sneaking that one. Yeah, I, said, think, uh, I think he outplayed Nathan Peterman in the preseason, so got that backup backup well, spot. So. And and you know what? I'm I'm actually happy that he did that because we needed to move on from the Nathan Peterman yes. uh, era in in Chicago. Uh, looks like Deontay Foreman with uh, Khalil Herbert out and with uh, Rashawn Roshan Johnson out. It looks like Foreman dominated carries here. Fifteen uh, fifteen carries for sixty five yards. Uh, it looks like um, D- Darrington Evans had nine carries, so not 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 dominated. Actually, it looks like Evans was was involved here. Uh, anything of note here about the way Foreman was used? Yeah, it was actually interesting. Darrington Evans and Deontay Foreman had pretty much a fifty fifty split in terms of touches until Justin Fields went out of the game because Fields was taking some of those design runs for himself. But then once Fields comes out of the game, then there's a lot of carries to Deontay Foreman. And Foreman got tackled at the one on a play where I think a lot of us would have liked for him to get in on the touchdown, but they gave it to Tyson Bajan for the goal line QB sneak. But it'll be interesting to see. I think Roshan Johnson has a chance to return next week off of that concussion. Um, but Deontay Foreman and Darrington Evans pretty much split that backfield until Fields came out of the game, and then it was a lot of downhill rushing for Foreman purely. But Evans was that change of pace back, um, much more of that passing game usage. He only had one catch, but he was in on more of those passing downs. Gotcha. And uh, maybe Roshan Johnson will be back uh, next week. Uh, DJ Moore followed up his enormous Thursday night game against Washington with only five catches for 51 yards. He led the team easily with with eight targets here. Um, anything of note in the uh, target distribution for, for the Bears? It looks like uh, Robert, uh, I'm sorry, it looks like Cole Komet only had three targets on the day, caught two for, for nine yards. Yeah, another with fields, without fields split. DJ Moore had one catch uh, in the first half, one catch until fields comes out. And then Tyson Bajan keeps targeting DJ Moore on his drives, which is how he got to those eight targets and five catches. Um, other than that, it was a, a really low volume passing day for the Bears. Tyler Scott, the rookie, got uh, got a career high four targets, I believe. So he's kind of grabbed a hold of that wide receiver three hole with, uh, without Chase Claypool there. Okay. All right. Good to know. Uh, let's move on to the rather depressing Justin Jefferson less Vikings. Kirk Cousins, 21 of 31 for 181 yards and a touchdown. No interceptions, but 5.8 yards per attempt. I I told you before we recorded here. It, this was this is pretty bleak for me and my, my redraft teams. Uh, I kind of thought Cousins would still do do something here, but wow, this was bad. 
the the targets went like this. Hawkinson leads with eight targets, catches six for fifty. Uh, then Osborne, I'm sorry, then then Madison was second with seven targets, caught four for twenty eight. Jordan Addison caught the only touchdown of the day, but he was only targeted five times. KJ Osborne was only targeted five times. So what I'm saying, Aditya, is that it seems like it was very, uh, very, very much evenly uh, uh, distributed here among the pass catchers, and mm-hmm. that's tough for fantasy, is it not? Yeah, it was tough. Not a whole lot of splash going on. The only only drive where it seemed like the Vikings had some sort of uh, – semblance of a good offense was at the end of the first half where TJ Hawkinson made a couple of nice catches. Jordan Addison made the touchdown catch, but outside of that, there was a pretty even distribution in terms of targets. Hawkinson got a lot of the short yardage targets and Alexander Madison had seven targets on the day. I didn't anticipate him being like the Justin Jefferson replacement or anything, but he kept getting a lot of checkdowns from Kirk yeah. Cousins today. So uh, pretty much no Cam Akers, but a lot of Alexander Madison in the passing game. Yeah, and then uh, in the backfield, Madison has 18 rushing attempts to one for Cam Akers. Uh, Brandon Powell also had, I, I guess, a design rush here. He's a, he's a receiver, the receiver, the wide receiver four, I think, for the Vikings. So. Uh, it looks like uh, the Vikings have, I don't know, come around, come to accept the fact that Alexander Madison is their guy going forward, huh? Yeah, not great efficiency again, but that's what you're going to see from Alexander Madison. High volume, high running back share in that backfield, but efficiency is not going to be the greatest. So volume-based start for him. If he gets a touchdown, then he's a good play. Otherwise, you'll probably see a lot of 10, 11 fantasy point games from him. Um, right. Cam Akers is, I guess, still adjusting to the offense, but I doubt we see him take on a significant role in that Minnesota backfield unless something happens to Madison. All right, Aditya. Uh, anything else here you want to touch on? Um, just if you're a Vikings fan or watching the Vikings <laughs> for fantasy purposes, just buckle up for the Justin Jefferson-less uh, yeah. squad. It lo- Just looking at my notes from the game, I was like, I would not be able to tell that this team won the game. But right. it was 19, 19 to 13. They were facing the Bears who lost Justin Fields. Um, and even then, Tyson Bajan almost led a game-winning drive, but he threw an interception at the end. So it's not going to be pretty for the Vikings going forward. I think that pretty much sums it up. Thank you so much, Aditya. Thank you. All right, now I welcome myself, Denny Carter, uh, to talk about the Ravens and the Titans here, the last game in London for uh, this 2023 season. The Ravens take this one 24 to 16, kind of an ugly game. Lamar Jackson goes for 223 yards and a touchdown to go along with an interception. Uh, He rushed 13 times for 62 yards. Um, Beyond beyond his rushing, we had Gus Edwards uh, going 16 rushes for 41 yards, absolutely doing nothing, 2.6 yards per carry. Justice Hill was well behind him at uh, eight carries for 35 yards. Really just not much value to be had in this Baltimore backfield. I, 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 I can't even pretend to be interested, honestly, in these Ravens running backs until one emerges as halfway usable because neither, neither Edwards nor Hill are usable uh, at the moment. Uh, <clears throat> not much going on in, in the receiving aspect of things. Zay Flowers leads all pass catchers with eight targets here. Uh, caught six for 50, including a, an early touchdown. 
looked to be uh, on his way to a big day and sort of was uh, was kind of phased out uh, going forward. Mark Andrews kind of took over four four catches for 69 yards on six targets for Andrews. I think what we're seeing here is sort of a concentration of the target tree uh, in Baltimore where it's uh, Andrews and Flowers combined and then everybody else gets gets kind of the, the scraps here. Uh, no one else even ran a full complement of routes or anything close to it for the Ravens. So I'm not sure if you can, I don't know, pretend that someone like Odell Beckham or Rashad Bateman are fantasy viable. I just, I just don't think that that is happening. And I'm sorry to the Bateman truthers because you all are very passionate people. This is what I have learned on the internet. Uh, hopefully the young man gets it together at some point. Uh, Lamar's lone interception on the day was of course in Bateman's direction. Uh, over on to the uh, Tennessee side, uh, Ryan Tannehill suffers apparently severe ankle injury has to be carted off. Wouldn't be surprised if he misses significant time. Malik Willis came in, uh, you know, did a, did, did a commendable job, 74 yards on only five throws, uh, no interceptions, no, no touchdowns. Of course he had three rushes for 17 yards. Uh, I think that he could be somewhat interesting. He seems to improve, have improved since last year, last year, Malik Willis was at the level where Mike Vrabel basically said, we are not going to let you do anything in this offense. You are there to facilitate for Derrick Henry. And that's it. I think that, Malik Willis, according to beat writers over the summer and then into the season, have said that Malik Willis has improved vastly on in, in many ways. So Malik Willis could be somewhat interesting as super flex uh, because of because of that rushing upside. Uh, as for the backfield here, uh, Derrick Henry uh, goes for 97 yards in the touchdown, eight yards, 8.1 yards per attempt. Uh, that was helped out, of course, by a 63-yard scamper in the first half. Um, beyond that, he didn't get a whole lot, and the game script didn't really work out so that Henry could get you know those 18, 20, 25 carries like you like you want him to get. And we talked about this on the Road to World Football Show, by the way, that uh, Derrick Henry right now, I think going forward for the rest of the season, is way more game script dependent than we want to admit or that we're used to. You know, we're, we're not we're not really used to this sort of thing. With Henry, uh, Tajay Spears, rookie, gets four carries for 15 yards. Uh, Spears had one catch on his lone target for an amazing 48-yard catch and run, dodging defenders, doing just insane things in the open field. Spears seems to be very, very good. Uh, so keep him on your bench as a stash uh, for now. Uh, De- DeAndre Hopkins uh, drew a couple pass interferences on five targets, only had one catch for 20 yards. Very disappointing day. Uh, Nick Westbrook, Akine had three catches for 25 yards on, on four targets. And really the, uh, uh, route running was all over the place, uh, for the Titans in this one. Uh, no one was really taking a full, uh, route compliment except for, uh, really except for Hopkins and then, uh, Chigakonkwo who didn't do much either. If Malik Willis steps into that starting role with Tannehill out going forward, it is a, just uh, a blow. I don't want to say death blow, but it is a it is a tough blow to DeAndre Hopkins' uh, fantasy prospects. I think he becomes more of a I don't know wide low end wide receiver three, maybe even a high end four. Chigakonkwo is not playable. Uh, this this is going to get bleak, I think, for the pass catchers in this Tennessee offense.
All right, folks, the Raiders uh, defeated the Patriots 21-17 in a game that saw Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott find the end zone. And, of course, Zeke, uh, you know, greeted us all with the uh, feed me uh, thing that he does with the fake spoon. We've missed that, Zeke, and I, I appreciate you bringing that back. Uh, Stevenson left the game briefly with a, a head injury, an ankle injury. He was all sorts of banged up. He did return. He scored the touchdown, 46 yards for Stevenson on 10 carries. Elliott had seven carries for 34 yards and the, the short touchdown. Uh, Mac Jones, total disaster, 24 of 33 for 200 yards, six yards per attempt, no touchdowns. He threw a, a horrific interception, one that I thought would cost him his job, but apparently he was not on the short leash that uh, he was reportedly on. Uh, so it goes. Uh, I think the big takeaway here is Kendrick Bourne seeing 11 targets, uh, dominating targets, honestly. No one else saw more than six. Uh, Bourne caught 10 of 11 targets for 89 yards in this game. He ran 34 routes on 37 dropbacks for Mac Jones. No one was even close to that as far as route running goes. Uh, Tyquan Thornton mixed in there with only 18 routes. Devontae Parker had 28. Uh, the 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 tight ends for New England uh, split, really split the pass catching and the targets. Uh, only three targets for Hunter Henry, three targets for Mike Gusecki. They basically ran the same, the same routes here uh, against the Raiders. I, Hunter Henry was exciting, I think, as a streamer, as a, as a fringe option early in the season. Uh, that's, that's over, folks. I'm declaring it. I'm declaring it over. Okay, no matter what Pat Doherty might say, uh, that Hunter Henry gravy train is very much over. Uh, Kendrick Bourne uh, is definitely their best receiver. I don't know why this is that difficult to like, figure out for the Patriots. I know he's always doghoused. You know, he can't get along with the TNT, doesn't like him. Belichick has a problem with it. He's your best player, like by far. I mean, best receiver, at least. Yeah, he's the best player. Yeah, no, no, forget that. I'm not, I'm not hedging. I'm going all in. Kendrick Bourne's your best player, Patriots. Listen up. So if we could get more of that, uh, Bourne tends to go berserk against zone defenses, from what I understand, as a ball knower. So uh, maybe maybe pay attention to whether the Patriots are playing a team that plays primarily zone, and that'll be the day that, that Kendrick Bourne uh, gets you there for fantasy purposes. But it is interesting. Very good usage, obviously, for Bourne against Vegas. Uh, we'll go over to the Vegas side of the ball where Jimmy Garoppolo left this game with a back injury. Um, Brian Hoyer came in and uh, smoked his former team 102 yards on just 10 attempts. Uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but he did have some really good throws for an old guy. And you know what? Us old guys, we stick together. And I appreciate Brian Hoyer uh, uh, being there representing elderly millennials like myself. I think we, we're called geriatric millennials. Uh, another day at the office for Josh Jacobs, folks. He was at the office. He brought his little suitcase. He had 25 carries, and he went for 77 scoreless yards. Um, it's never not depressing with Josh Jacobs because, man, the, the usage we want is there. It just it just is. It's It's actually quite incredible. Josh Jacobs also has two catches on five targets for 16 yards here. Man, it, one day, one day it's going to break right, okay? Process, process, process. We're going to get those results sooner or later. Josh Jacobs is running super cold. Take it from the guy who writes the regression files 
Josh Jacobs jumps out as a guy who has amazing usage, the the kind of usage that we want in fantasy. Very few running backs are used like this, like Josh Jacobs is being used. Very few, okay? Uh, maybe Christian McCaffrey, and that's it? I mean, as, as, far as, as far as backfield domination goes, so just, I guess, stick with it. Eventually, things will break right for him. Uh, as far as the receiving goes for the uh for the raiders we have uh, another you know somewhat uh concerning situation for Devontae adams five targets two catches for 29 yards maybe uh that injury that that arm injury is, is holding him back a little bit jacoby myers uh seeks and finds revenge against his former team 61 yards and a touchdown on five catches for jacoby myers he leads the team with seven targets i really do think that that we have reached the point where I know it's Devontae Adams. Like, I know. I know that, okay? But I also know that, man, Josh McDaniels is basically basing this offense around Jacoby Myers right now, whether we like it or not. And guess what, Josh? We don't. We don't like it. Uh, But we have to accept it. If you have Jacoby Myers, I mean, there's just no question. You're just starting him week in and week out. And if you have Adams, you can't trade him away. Because you'd, you'd be selling low, okay? Like maybe if he blows up next week or something or the week after, maybe then you do it. Then you then you go ahead and you you deal him. Um, but that that is that is a rough situation. Not much else here going on uh, as far as the Raiders pass catchers go. I will say that Trey Tucker uh, what functioned as the wide receiver three for the Raiders. 18 pass routes. He He only saw two targets. He did see a carry as well. And it looks like Michael Mayer, the rookie, has finally usurped Austin Hooper, the eternal Austin Hooper, um, as the team's tight end one. Mayer saw, uh, had 22 routes on 33 dropbacks for Vegas. He saw six targets to two targets for Austin Hooper. So we have that going for us. If we can get Mayer with that sort of usage, he might be a streamer. He might be a waiver wire guy. You never know. That's all I got for the Patriots and the Raiders. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.